Hello, listeners. We invite you to sharpen your swords and your minds and join hosts Sam and Clay each week as they delve into the historical context, leadership, and tactics surrounding significant battles and campaigns throughout time. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Art of War. All right, what's up, everybody? I'm Sam. And I'm Clay. And this is the Art of War. And today we're going to be talking about another battle in the Otto, uh, Ottoman-Hungarian War, which would be the Battle of Belgrade. Yes. Technically, it's a siege, but... Yeah, well, it's a siege and a battle. Yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of both. We're getting the double double whammy here. Indeed. And also naval battle, so, you know. Oh, yeah, so it's, it's all, it's <laughs> all over of, the place. All of it wrapped into one. See, I'm really, I'm really excited to talk about this one. This one's gonna be great. This is an yeah, interesting one. It was way more interesting than I thought it would be. It's much more interesting than the Battle of Varna because there's just so many aspects to it. There's so many things to talk on. But I guess let's get started. Let's, let's set up the scene. Right. So the year is 1456. So this is quite a bit after the Battle of Varna, and this is actually after the siege of Constantinople, right? Yep, it's about two years after the siege of Constantinople, or Istanbul at this point. It's not Constantinople anymore. And uh, it's 12 years after the Battle of Varna. So it's a long period of time. So both sides, Mehmed has grown up, and uh, Hunadi is pretty old now. He's, I think he's pushing into his, his 50s, which is pretty old for the period of time. And uh, yeah, everybody's everybody's much older than they were, 12 years. Yep. Long time. So the new sultan of the Ottoman Empire is Mehmed II. And at this point, he's earned the nickname the Conqueror because he has conquered Constantinople, which was one of the most heavily fortified cities. And I think the siege lasted something like almost four decades for the Ottoman Empire. Yeah, no, the Constantinople is, is just wild. It it was so heavily fortified, so heavily defended, and garrisoned with such good troops uh, that it sat there in the middle of the Ottoman territories for an extremely long period of time. They never even tried to take it. And all the previous uh, ventures to try to take it had failed miserably. Nobody had even broken through the first wall because it's multi-layered walls. It was just so, you know, it was like one of those cities that nobody thought could be could be taken. And Mehmed goes in when he's, I believe when he was uh, 21, 20 or 21. Yeah, he was very and he, young. And he takes, he takes Constantinople, which is wild. It's That's a whole nother podcast story. right we did not cover that yeah. because it is not hungary versus ottoman so yeah. that's the byzantine empire that's the fall of the byzantine empire was the fall of constantinople mm -hmm. and so mehmed's taken over and he's taken constantinople and uh he's kind of a big guy a bit a big name in, in the ottoman empire at the time he's pretty important for that for that accomplishment in itself yeah so the ottoman empire has a lot of power right now and Pretty much the only country standing between the Christian world and the Ottoman Empire is Hungary right now. And so yeah. that's where Midman turns his eyes of conquest is onto Hungary. And one of the biggest, I guess, gates that has to fall for the conquest of Hungary is this fortress of Belgrade. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, we talk about Varna and the Ottomans won so decisively in that. But they didn't continue their, like, full-on invasion into Hungary at the time. They had an opportunity to get into, you know, central Hungary, take Hungary. But the one thing that we need to make clear is that even though they've taken Serbia and they've taken Bosnia, uh, those two countries are still heavily, heavily, heavily militarized by the resistance groups that, that are, are living in that. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, they're not okay with the Ottoman rule. So they're fighting 
the Ottomans while they're trying to, you know, fight the Hungarians at the same time. So it's very difficult for the Ottomans to be able to launch a full-scale invasion if they don't have, like, a, you know, a, um, a safe spot behind them, somewhere that they can go right. back. A, like a base of operations to launch it from. Yeah, yeah, they don't have a base. Yeah. So their their base of operations is Constantinople, and that's all the way, you know, past Serbia and Bosnia. It's a very long distance. So they, they kind of, they, you know, they won the Battle of Varna, but then they couldn't really do much with it. So they went back to Constantinople. Mm-hmm. And they also suffered such heavy losses at Varna that they really had to go yeah. back to regroup. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the design of Belgrade and just the history, because it is one of the oldest continuously inhabited um, cities in Europe. It's it's kind of crazy. It had it was um, all the way inhabited back in like the Neolithic period, which was like <laughs> very old. So this has been one of the major cities throughout history, and it's traded hands a bunch of times. It's now currently the capital of Serbia. Um, at the time, it was given to Hungary, though. Yeah, and it's extremely well fortified. Like, think of think of a small Constantinople. It's got the kind of the general same layout. It doesn't have multiple layers of walls, but it's three layers of uh, defenses. They have the, the outside walls that are extremely thick. Mm-hmm. Then they have an interior fortress. And then in the very center, there's a raised uh, building, like, you know, the, the castle. So there's three layers of defenses they have to actually get through to get to the center. So it's a very it's a very defensive position. It's also situated on the top of a hill, which makes it even more, you know, difficult right. to take. And and even more is the river Danube on one side of it. So mm-hmm. it's got a river on one side as well. So it's just very heavily fortified for the time. You know, next to Constantinople, this is probably the most fortified city in this region. Yeah, for sure. And. Uh, that's that's where they both you know they know that's it's gonna the the battle is going to occur so Hunyadi is yeah. is preparing and so is, is Mehmed to take this, right. this city. So let's uh, get an update on how Hunyadi's been doing since this twelve year period from the Battle of Varna. Um, he's trying to gain more power on in Hungary. He really wants to you know be kind of the leader of Hungary at this time he's the captain general of Hungary so he's you know he's also proven himself in many of the battles against the Ottoman Empire but during this 12-year period they've had a lot of other confrontations with European countries so it's not just been Ottoman Empire's the main enemy he's had a lot of um, conflicts yeah and in this instance he you know he calls for foreign support because he knows it's going to happen but the Pope chooses not to rally a force because, for for one, he he can't in such a sh- short period of time. So the Vatican kind of is like, we can't really help you in that regard. But he does send a uh, a priest named Giovanni de Cap- uh, Capistrano, and mm-hmm. his goal is just to help uh, Hunati rally a force and, and and you know secure Hungary. So that's that's what Hunati is is back in central Hungary rallying an army at the time that the invasion is starting they're moving towards Belgrade because he wants to he wants to garrison as many men as possible into Belgrade and ensure that they can't get surrounded. He wants to make that not a possibility because then he thinks if they get surrounded it's over, right? So that's what he's doing right now. Right. And it's good because it's not a surprise offensive. I mean Hunyadi has known for a quite a while that the Ottoman Empire is going to attack Belgrade and so he really has the the city that he knows he has to protect and fortify so it really plays into how he's going to accomplish that and another important thing is that a lot of the other barons in hungary and the surrounding areas 
don't give them any support because they actually fear the power that Hunyadi's been growing steadily over the years, so they don't want to support him, and so he's pretty much on his own in this defensive. Yeah, and the infant king is still technically the leader of Hungary at this point, and uh, they, they don't want, you know, Hunyadi to get rid of the 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 little print or little little infant king and, and take over for himself so mm-hmm. he's on his own he takes you know he he gets four or five thousand of his own mercenary men that he hires himself out of his own pocket and then the priest giovanni capistrano he uh he he's like very you know he's very good at uh, rallying people his whole objective was to try to spread the idea that the ottoman empire were heretics and we're going to destroy the christian faith so he's very essential in getting a an army too because he's able to go through all these you know cities and these these peasant villages and rally all them together and say like you got to come help this is a crusade of its own so he gets a lot he gets 40 to fifty thousand peasants to join up with Hunyadi in a very short period of time just by saying that you know the Ottomans are an enemy to the, the Vatican, an enemy to the Christian mm-hmm. faith. Right, but before that really happens, Hunyadi has provided a pretty strong garrison to the city, and he he charges his brother-in-law Siligi and his eldest son Laszlo with really leading that garrison in the city, while Hunyadi's still trying to go through Hungary and recruit more troops. And so the siege actually starts before Hunyadi returns to the city, right? Yeah. It's kind of unfortunate because he only had a he was only able to provide a garrison of like five to six thousand men for his brother-in-law and his son, so they're kind of stuck because now they've been completely encircled by the uh, the sieging force, and so Hunadi's not able to lend them troops or or, or supplies because they they also cut off the Danube River and and prevent any anyone mm-hmm. to get contact with them. So right, so let's break down the Ottoman Empire's start of the siege so they had you know some accounts say they had over a hundred thousand troops mm-hmm. but um modern historians sort of agree that it was closer to 60 to seventy thousand. so it's still a very much larger force than what the hungarian forces was and mehmed ii also had 300 cannons used to attack the walls and most of them were used in the siege of Constantinople as well. And apparently there are like 22 cannons that were just massive cannons, right? Yeah, there, I forget what, there, there's one there was one cannon, I forget what it was called, but it's extremely famous for the, the siege of Constantinople. It was gargantuan. Like it was some ridiculous distance, like 30 to 40 feet long, and it weighed tons and tons. And they, they supposedly employ cannons that are of the same make, but they're a little bit smaller. And the wild thing about these sieges with Constantinople and the siege is that they have them set up so that they're constantly firing. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no like downtime. It's cannon, 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 just constant pelting of the wall so that the defenders can't go and you know rebuild the damage to the walls or, or fortify the damage to the walls. So yeah, they've got 300 cannons laid out in this field, just constantly firing, and they do it quickly. Could you imagine what that would sound like? Yeah. Oh my god. And it was it, it was probably all just smoke. You couldn't even see the the encamped forces or the cannons just smoke and wall getting pelted constantly so it's pretty crazy and they do it fast too they get there on uh, july 4th and they're just on the same day they arrive they're able to set up these cannons and start firing it's because it was fourth of july <laughs> they gotta celebrate yeah right 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 yeah they were also very good at, at uh artillery and, and uh, gunpowder weaponry that was that was what the ottoman empire is really known for so they they employed that to to 
an expert level. Right. So the city is absolutely surrounded by Ottoman forces. Some accounts from the time actually say that it looked like snow had fallen just from all the white tents of the Ottoman forces. And uh, Mehmed had also had a small contingency of, you know, 200 river warships, not that small, but so he had this naval force that was blocking the river as well. And then he also has the Janissary Guard, that's the main fighting force on the ground, and then the Sapahi Cavalry that were guarding the flanks, because they can't really do much in a siege of a fortress. Yeah, they were just running all throughout the swamps and all the periphery areas, and ensuring that Hunadi wasn't, you know, staging some surprise attack and going to outflank them and attack them. Yep, so Hunyadi at this time is in the south area, and he... He himself recruits another army of like 10,000 well-trained troops that are mainly like cavalry. And so these are pretty well-trained actual fighters. And then Friar Jean Capistrano, he was preaching his Ottoman crusade and he got, you know, his force of 30,000 troops. But they are mainly peasants, right? So it's it's a very poorly trained army and most of them are armed with like pitchforks and scythes and that kind of stuff. But an interesting point is that they're very, they're very interested in this battle. They're not just like, you know, conscripted and, and just yeah. showing up because they have to. They want to fight. They're very enthusiastic. They're very enthusiastic. Yeah, it's quick how fast he gets them. And he, they're, they're very loyal to, to Hungary at this point. So how does Hunyadi get back to Belgrade? So he, he knows that with five to 7,000 men and constant, you know, artillery bombardment, bombardment the the city's not going to hold very long so his priority is to break the naval blockade and to get into the city so that he can provide them with Mm -hmm. resources and chiefly provide them with the ability to refortify their walls or or to to you know strengthen the the inner defenses so he has his own uh naval uh contingent of about 200 ships a lot they're, they're, not, they're not like large naval vessels they're more small agile troops like sloops or uh, boats like sloops right. he doesn't have like large galleys or anything like the ottomans do and he he's able to break the blockade pretty decisively he sinks three or four of the uh, war galleys that the ottomans have and then he takes uh the rest of the ships for his own yeah, and now he he's got a lot. he's got like you know 300 or 400 uh ships to his disposal and i really wish I wish there was more details on this this first major encounter, the naval battle. There really isn't anything on it besides that Hunyadi broke through. But, I mean, it was like 200 ships versus 200 other ships. It seems yeah. like it should have been a very heated battle. But uh, he apparently he broke through without much of an issue. And so he gets there, right, on July 14th. So it's already been 10 days of constant bombardment on mm-hmm. the city. That just shows how strong those walls are that they were able to hold yeah. for that long uh and uh yeah he he's able to get a large amount of his troops chiefly his uh well-trained troops some peasants into the actual city walls now and this is not very good for the ottomans because the ability to refortify the walls was what they didn't want to happen and now they can get resources in so they can't like you know starve them out it's gotta be i gotta be an actual entry into the city now like breaking through the walls and it was this it was essential fruit for hunyadi to get these reinforcements inside the city because if they tried to engage the ottoman forces on land they would have been wiped out and the city would have been taken so if he did not break this naval blockade and get the troops into the city it they it would have been over pretty quickly yeah 
And so once he's in the city, uh, Mehmed, you know, he gets wind of his naval naval loss and their ability not to blockade him anymore. And he he doesn't care. He's he, just like a Constantinople. He's focused on just breaking through the wall. That's all he cares about. So he just says, mm-hmm. "Can keep on going." So they just keep on shooting. Keep keep on pelting that wall with with artillery, and it lasts for about seven days. I think it's seven or eight days until the twenty first when they actually start to damage the walls and, and the walls are starting to fracture and, and give. Right. They start breaking some holes into the wall. So after they finally break some holes into this just very well-fortified wall into the city, Sultan Mehmed, at that point, he's like, okay, it's time to go. And he just orders an all-out assault starting right at the beginning of the night. And just like, once again, I'm going to say, just like at Constantinople, uh, he the Janissaries are the first ones in because those are the chief fighting forces, the, the best trained, the elites. Mm-hmm. And they're straight yep. through the wall and they... They're just destroying the defense. They're going running through these peasants. They're running through this this uh, contingent of defense that they have set up on the first layer, and they think they've won. They think they've they're going to have just taken this whole this whole area, and they're going to be able to go through the second wall very quickly, and then the center. They think it's it's over, right? But what does what does Hunadi have in, in store for them? Yeah, so Hunadi has a very clever response to this because you can you know imagine this giant janissary force basically flooding through the streets of the city it would be pretty intimidating but hunyadi is a pretty you know well-earned veteran at this point he's been a lot of battles with the ottomans so he definitely keeps his head about him and he orders all the troops to pretty much use tar wood sides of bacon sulfur covered sheets and anything else flammable to just like throw it down to separate the janissary force from the rest of the ottoman forces so they just set this wall of fire pretty much and it isolates the janissary force from the whole rest of the ottoman army and this was just such a clever tactic i think and it really pretty much saved them in this instance yeah and also they're able to isolate the most important troops from the you know less important troops and surround them because they have they have nowhere to go they can go back against the the wall of fire which they're not going to go or they can go forward and so they choose to go forward and attack unadi and they get surrounded and pretty pretty quickly just massacred and wiped out and uh, there goes the largest and most important uh unit in the ottoman empire's army one one fell swoop and it's so important too because yeah they massacred the entire janissary army but then the rest of their army trying to breach the wall and get into the city also suffered pretty heavy losses because you know in Mehmed's mind this is the final push this is him taking the city um so they're not really holding anything back and they actually lose a lot of troops doing this yeah like we were saying um they believe they were they were winning you know they believe they they had the city they had taken it they saw the walls go down all out attack they're in the walls they're destroying Hunadi's forces and then the wall you know the wildfire comes up but Mehmed keeps wanting to them to go forward and it's this giant mass of men getting pressed into a firewall and they're all you know they can't go backwards because there's a bunch of troops coming through these small little holes so yeah it's pretty it's pretty bad it's pretty bad for the Ottomans in that in that little event now, apparently, a fair amount of them did perish in the fire. Yeah. So uh, they they you know, have to retreat. The Ottomans have to dip out of there because at that point, they just they don't have much to go on. The Janissaries have been wiped out. They've been separated, and they're taking heavy losses. So they return back to their encampment, and Hunadi's able to retake the first layer of walls 
and try to to an extent refortify them, but he you know you can't when there's that big of damage to the to the walls. They need a lot of of uh, rubble, a lot of things to place into the holes. So, but yeah, so then the Ottomans at this time, right? They're they're burying their dead and they're recuperating. They're you know not expecting really any counterattack because why would it make sense for the Hungarians to come out of their heavily fortified city after just like pretty much repelling the Ottomans and push them on a land battle, which is way less in their favor. But according to the accounts, which, you know, who knows how true this is, but some of the the peasant crusader forces that were very enthusiastic and they, you know, pretty much had just won the first major battle of the siege against the Ottomans, they sneak out of the fortress to heckle the Ottomans and shoot arrows at them as they're like trying to bury their dead and like recuperate their losses yeah, and uh, the the it's like a one or two thousand that get out the wall, and Hunani's upset about it. So is uh, Capistrano. He's saying, you know, get back in here. We need to keep our defensive position. This is silly. Don't leave the walls. Get back in here. But like we were talking about, they are very they're very excited about this battle. They're very enthused by their success. So they completely mm-hmm. ignore him. Yeah, more and, and more just join them. More and more just start joining in. And then at first it was just these small little conflicts, you know, just some harassment, some some damage to the Ottomans. And then it starts growing into an actual battle because there's, you know, 10,000, 20,000. Yeah. And Hunati's just completely out of control. Like he has no control of this army anymore. And he decides, okay, well, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to bring them back in. They won't listen. So he says, all right, I'm leading it. And he's, he leads his, you know, well-trained uh, retinue of soldiers and uh, claimed to have yelled, the Lord who made the beginning will take care of the finish. And they charge in through, or they charge through the. Yeah. And even Mehmed at this time had ordered the Sapahis, the, you know, the elite cavalry force to disperse the Hungarian force. But that didn't work, and now you have basically hold the hung the whole Hungarian army out there fighting them, and also in the accounts it says that the Ottomans were well they were very surprised of course because no one would ever expect this, but for some reason they were also very terrified, and so they just begun to flee. That might have been because the January force had been wiped out, which was more of the well trained Ottoman force. So what was left might have been you know just uh, less worse trained troops that probably were pretty intimidated at this point and pretty easy to to want to flee yeah and uh the last remaining janissaries that are part of the uh ottoman center or the uh, personal guard of Mehmed, they're trying mm-hmm. to rally everybody back and get control of everyone just like Hunadi was trying to get control of the hungarians but they don't they're not able to get the the force to stop the route and they just have to hold and try to you know, maybe make a, a small victory so that the forces come back. So they're stuck in the middle of the encampment and whenever the main force of the Hungarians reach them. And it's said that Mehmed was putting up a hell of a battle and wiped out several knights. One was claimed he just destroyed completely, mm-hmm. but then he gets hit in the thigh with an arrow and loses consciousness. Takes an arrow to the thigh. Takes you to the thigh, not the knee, to the thigh and he passes out and is drunk off the battlefield. and Yeah. So by the time when, when Mehmed passes out from his injury, the Janissary forces that are left, they throw him in a cart, and that's pretty much the end. The Ottomans retreat. And so the Hungarians won. It was very interesting because the final battle, 
they're both Sultan Mehmed II and Hunyadi did not really lead their forces at all. It was just kind of this um, impromptu thing that happened, and it worked very it worked out very well for the Hungarians. Yeah, and they retreat all the way back to Constantinople, and this is the the last time that Mehmed really stages an invasion in Hungary. His his reign he doesn't really see much large scale conflict anymore with with Hungary. Right. Yeah, this it is very a very good victory for Hungary because it basically ensures almost 70 years of no more Ottoman um conflict or trying to push into Hungary. And another thing like we were saying earlier how um the Ottoman Empire still had a lot of conflicts going on in Serbia and those areas on their way back to Constantinople the the remaining Ottoman armies suffered like thousands and thousands of more casualties from just like little skirmishes trying to get back to Constantinople. Yeah, and then I guess let's talk about the Hunadi side of it, the Hungary Hungary side of it. What happens after that, the aftermath? Right, yeah. So, all in all, the Hungarians only lost about 10,000 troops and they celebrated pretty wholeheartedly. So throughout this whole siege of Belgrade, the current pope at the time had ordered all of the Catholic churches to ring the bells at noon every day as an act of prayer to kind of help the Hungarian forces. And so this is a, a, a tradition that's still, is why the new bell rings still to this day is because of this battle. Um, but a, a little bit of an unfortunate end is somehow during, I guess they had so many people inside the fortress of Belgrade, but a plague broke out. And actually Hunyadi and John Capistrano both fell ill and actually ended up dying because of this plague. Yeah, and it's only three weeks after the success, whenever the majority of the Western European world is rejoicing, Hunadi and his co co general succumb to the plague and die. It's kind of a sad way for someone that was so, you know, important to the overall scheme of the, the Hungarian war defense to have just died from the plague. Yeah, and there's a lot of grief over his death throughout all of Christendom, and actually Sultan Mehmed II himself comments on the death, saying that he had never seen such a man as great as Hunyadi, even though he was his enemy. And it's also important to say that when Sultan Mehmed had regained consciousness after the battle, he had to be prevented from committing suicide because this was the greatest defeat that the Ottomans have ever suffered at that point in time. And you gotta you gotta imagine the 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 fall that he experienced. You you take the one of the most fortified cities that has ever existed at the age of twenty one. Mm-hmm. You're on the top. You're riding high. You go and you have this smaller fortress with a smaller army with less resources, and you think this is easy, right? I'm gonna take this. I took Constantinople, and then they're just pretty much destroyed by a peasant army. Uh, Probably it probably hurts, you know. It probably doesn't feel too good to to fall so drastically from the peak to returning back to Constantinople and never really having a successful battle afterwards. Yeah, this is just a really great David versus Goliath tale. It, it's really unfortunate that Hunyadi died the way he did from the plague, and I'm not really sure. I don't have the actual plague numbers for all of the the people that died from it, so I'm not really sure if it was like a very deadly plague or maybe he was just very unlucky yeah i think it was a you know a a small amount died i don't think it was a a large detriment to the actual standing army 
But also, there's not really a way to know because it was a bunch of peasants. So if they were contracting plague, it's not like that would really be recorded. You know, they would have dispersed back to their homes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it's also uh, important to note that it's now a celebrated holiday in Hungary. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's the 21st or it's the 22nd of July where they celebrate the, the, the defeat of the Ottoman Empire and the defense of Hungary. Yeah, and it's, yes, so John Hunyadi, you know, I never really knew anything about him until we started researching this kind of stuff, but he's a very big deal in Hungary. He's like a very huge folk hero, and he's one of the greatest defenders of Christianity, so he's um, he's very famous, actually. And yeah, and you know, it's it's, it's sad that he, he died, because he's such a, an interesting character, and it would have been great to talk about him more, but we got to see some very important figures in history spring up from the success at belgrade like vlad the impaler and stephen the great yes yeah that's why we this time period is so interesting to go through because there's just so many notable figures yeah and you know after the battle of belgrade with the retreat back through the bosnian serbian territories uh they don't really have much the Ottomans don't really have much uh, defense. They don't have much fortifications in Serbia or Bosnia. Mm -hmm. So after their complete uh, destruction or their, their complete loss, uh, the Serbian and Bosnian territories rally together and they get rid of all of the standing Ottoman armies and it becomes the the country of... Wallachia? Wallachia. It becomes the country of Wallachia and it's co-ruled by Vlad the Impaler and Stephen the Great. Yes, so Dracula was not actually Transylvanian; he was Wallachian. Mm. Yep. So that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah. They'll, they'll be they'll be more important in later later stories, I'm sure. And you know what's also interesting for this this period of time because this is a huge victory against the Ottoman Empire, which is like Christianity's main enemy at this point in time. But nothing really gets started because of this victory. You know, there's no crusade that's launched, but you would imagine that the um, enthusiasm is pretty high after this victory, but there's no European country that really tries to organize a crusade to push in and get the Ottoman Empire completely out of Europe and take back the Balkans. You don't really see that, which is, I don't know, I thought it was kind of weird. No, yeah, I was thinking that too, but what I might, I might attribute to that is the fact that the base of operations and the choke point that the Ottomans now is like their central location for staging future invasions is Constantinople, Istanbul, right? So mm. the European countries prior to this for hundreds of years viewed Constantinople as being incapable of being taken. That's why in the actual original siege of Constantinople, it was a very slow process to get them reinforcements is because the pope and western europe thought that it was impossible to take the city right so maybe they in their mind they're going if we launch a crusade where are we going to right well has already came to be there's not really ottomans there the only place they have to go is constantinople right yeah. <laughs> that's not to them that might not be feasible so maybe that's why but who knows yeah it's kind of interesting but also it's kind of interesting too that the pope wasn't he, his only contribution to this, the Vatican's only contribution, was uh, Capistrano. That was it, right? Yeah. So, but, I mean, what a you know integral part of the story he was. Mm -hmm. For sure. A priest, a war priest. That's what he was. Yeah. He <laughs> led his own little peasant army. But, yeah, that's the, that's the Battle of Belgrade. Yeah. It's very interesting. So let's, let's do our rating. Obviously, it's going to be on Hunyadi's use of the, the firewall to separate the Janissary forces. I mean, he literally 
they literally burned sides of bacon in that strategy so i mean come on <laughs> that's true i mean they, you got to give it you got to give it a high rating for that and it's yeah you know i'm gonna say that's probably like some nice texas barbecue ribs or something like that that's like mm, fall off the bone fall off the bone yeah I, I could see that i i agree with that that was a good strategy yeah it was it was a, a very interesting strategy too a little home alone action there with his little booby traps yeah. that he's had <laughs> planned for him medieval home alone yep but that's you know all i really wanted to say on this i I thought it was a very interesting battle oh for sure yeah it's one of the you know when i was researching it there's not much you know there's information on it but there's not a lot of people that cover it you know it's it's one of the more unknown battles Mm -hmm. it should definitely be more than that it's a extremely interesting one for sure yeah and i'll try to um find like some good pictures of those giant cannons to post on the instagram because they're just wild looking i believe that the the cannon that it was used at constantinople is still like it actually exists you can see it to this day maybe maybe grab that one that one's a pretty interesting one i wonder if they use that at belgrade who knows i think so because i mean in in the accounts i was reading they say that they most of the cannons were the cannons that were used at constantinople yeah well that's it that's the battle of belgrade yeah guys thanks for listening and catch us next week yeah i hope you guys enjoyed Hi, listeners. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, make sure to follow us on all of our social medias. You can find our social medias in the description on our Spotify page. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to check out our sister podcast, Gray Skies. Each week, the host Eliza talks about a different national disaster that happened in recent history. And hopefully we're going to be able to collaborate with her. Yeah, so look forward to that.